0: Welcome to the Wizard of Whiskey
1: podcast, the podcast dedicated to the hedonist lifestyle. I'm joined by a very special guest all the way from the UK, David Smith. How are you today, sir?
0: I'm very well, thank you very much.
1: Fantastic. Um, David, you are the co-founder of the London Distilling Expo and, of course, uh, uh, summerfruitcup.com. Tell us a little bit about uh, those two two projects.
0: Well, the uh, Distilling Expo is a... Uh, a trade show for distillers um that I started um along with uh Bill Owens, the president of the ADI and our colleague Danny Newberg in London. Um and in a similar way to the ADI conference it's a collection of distilling vendors and uh and then a variety of people giving talks on different distilling subjects. Um this is our fourth year that we've uh that we've done it. Um Summer Fruit Cup is my own website which I've been running since 2010, I think, um, and we write a whole, about a whole range of different topics, but mostly gin, and we've had just over 400 gin reviews, there's some whiskey and things like that on there as well, but mostly it's gin.
1: Wow. Um, 400 gin reviews. That's impressive. Um, and it's good, because our topic today is gin, which is a very misunderstood, to me, uh, um, and to a lot of consumers, a very misunderstood spirit. Um, why don't we start with a little primer? Um first of all, what what is gin? Um I know you're you're quite the expert on that. Um and then we can maybe go through some of the different styles of gin because apparently there is more than one.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a, a bit of an understatement, but yeah, certainly more than one. Um so gin is uh I mean, it's often reduced down to a flavored vodka. It is essentially a spirit which is flavored. Um, with a whole range of potentially different peels and seeds and uh berries and leaves. But the one key thing is the juniper berry. It must have juniper berries in there. Um, it's usually the common juniper. Uh it gives it a slightly piney resinous note. Um and without juniper it's not gin, it's just the botanical vodka. So that is the key ingredient.
1: Um, before we get too deep into gin, um, what is a quick difference between gin Jen and Geneva?
0: Um, typically, it is the the base spirit. So Geneva will have a typically a less refined base spirit. Um, so more of almost a bit more like a whiskey. So more of those base characteristics will come through. Whereas with gin, you would typically have a much cleaner base spirit, a more rectified base spirit. So it's far more about the just the botanicals as opposed to a combination of the botanicals and the base spirit.
1: Okay. Um, I'm trying to remember if I can recall any of the U.S. laws, uh, the TTB, um, as to what the base spirit has to be for gin. Is it, is it required to be grain or can it be um, based something else?
0: Uh, I think um across uh, pretty much across the world, gin is unique in that you can essentially make it out of anything. There are certain restrictions about how um, high the spirit needs to be uh, distilled to, depending on where you are um, but you can make it out of grape, you can make it out of any grain, potato um, uh, sugarcane a whole variety of different fruits and vegetables, and many people do um rice there are some made out of rice and uh even honey
1: wow fantastic um all right so let's um gin gin cocktails are, are popular they're very popular these days with a lot of the mixologists um but they're uh, aside from just using them as cocktails um there there are quite a few distinct styles of gin and each one calls for for its own um cocktail style as well um what are some of the most popular styles um and what are some of the differences
0: um yeah so i think um the style that people would be very familiar with would be um the sort of traditional or the classic style um and interestingly with a lot of these um definitions there is no regulation for it so it's just a sort of generally accepted selection of things uh as opposed to anything else. Um, a, a selection of ideals and characteristics, as opposed to something that's legally enforceable. Um, so you have this classic style. This would be things like Tanqueray, eater, gordon very juniper forward, very juniper led, and then the botanicals add the other botanicals, citrus or angelica or coriander, add a little something round it. Um, the other style you'll have is uh, contemporary. Many people know it as New Western Gin as well, which is which is sort of pioneered in the u.s. although other countries are doing it as well and that tends to have um what some people refer to as botanical democracy uh... more of the botanicals play a greater part it so, so juniper is still there and it's still the main flavor but you know there might be a lot more citrus with something like blue coat or it might be more floral or more savory or something like that so those are sort of those are the big splits and then there are some of the more historical um, categories as well
1: um so something really big in in the the cocktail world today and in the spirit world is aged gin. Yep. What's the difference between an aged gin and an old tom gin for our our listeners?
0: So, going back, um old tom and so you're looking at uh what sort of the early 19th century, so about sort of 1800 up to about 1815, that sort of time was when Old Tom sort of was first around, um, and there was no continuous distillation, so you only had pot stills, and the base spirit was quite rough, and it needed a bit of disguising to make it palatable. So people would do things like make it m- more botanically intense, add a lot of botanicals to hide the the not so great quality alcohol, and potentially would add sugar as well, or sweeten it with licorice, or Something like that. So old Tom was all about disguising a poor quality spirit. That was where it came from, um, and that's when it started. The aged gins um, came from a time when, before bottles, before stainless steel tanks, before plastic, everything was stored in a barrel. Um, and so, and there wasn't, and weren't people weren't particularly choosy about what the barrel was. Sometimes it might have previously stored. Olive oil or vinegar or something like that, as long as it could hold a wet wet goods, um, you could use it um, and often quite often it would be reused cherry barrels because they were very popular at the time in in uh, at certain times at least in the u k um, then when people moved away from storing things in barrels and buying um, their gin or their spirits in bottles, this the 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 flavour that you might get from a barrel was reduced. Um and then it was then reintroduced as a as a flavoring technique. So um as an example Booze, which was one of the, the, the British big British gin brands, one of the earliest big with uh, the first big gin brand, um they uh would bottle their products but they would still when it was in the warehouse it would still be kept in barrels. And so the story is that some of the gin wasn't rotated properly, and so it was a it had a bit more of an effect in this barrel. They liked it, and then they bottled it. Um, so that so any originally any uh, effect of uh, wood on gin would have been incidental. It was not deliberate, and then it became deliberate. Gotcha. Good. Okay.
1: Um, I know you've tasted quite a few gins, um, and I know you're going to love this question um, as much as I normally do. Um what is your favorite gin? <laughs>
0: um it varies um uh, but uh ones I think are particularly good um something like Plymouth Navy Strength I think is fantastic. I think in a similar vein the Haymans Royal Dock is also um exceptionally good. Um also really like uh, the Big Gin from Seattle, and Bar Hill there, one with the honey. Um, those are ones I particularly like. I probably would plump for one of the Navy Strengths as a top, top favorite, but those four are all pretty fantastic. It would be difficult to choose.
1: Yeah, I uh, I get that. Um, I know you're aware fully of the uh, – of- the popularity of craft gin here in the States. I know a lot of craft and small, small distillers, um, they start out producing vodka and gin because those are the two spirits that you can, um, somewhat, I think, get away with, um, producing young and, um, used to build up your, you know, your resources for laying down other things. Um, two question in two parts, actually. Um, does that dilute, uh, spirits brands when they just put out a gin just to have a product on the market um without really taking the time to perfect it um so that's question one and then two um is there a point and have we reached it of uh gen out there that's where where it just becomes too much for the consumer to to shop i've been to stores where there's 150 different options and to me even to me who who you know spends time you know tasting you know hundreds of, of products a year um it, it, it seems to be a lot so
0: yeah okay so the the first question um you you're, you're quite right i mean you can you can produce a gin and have it out and have it ready to be uh for sale much more quickly than you can with whiskey because there is no maturation or or anything like that there's, if you're using ngs there's no fermentation either so that can speed things along. Um, I think if it was me and I wanted was a whiskey producer but wanted to make some vodka or gin in the interim to help with things like cash flow and get the brand out there, I would still want to have a good product that was and take the time over it because you're a new distillery and that you're establishing your brand, you're establishing your identity and so if you uh become known for having slightly slapdash products um then even if you make great whiskey it's going to be very difficult for you to overcome those initial first impressions uh so i would argue that it's important uh essential to make sure that your product is is right and and of good quality before you release it because you are putting your name on the bottle and so you know you need to be happy to do that uh that's not to say that gin can't evolve it over time because it certainly does very few, if, not, if any, distilleries. Their batch one is not going to taste the same as their batch seven because, as they are doing, as they are learning, they are gradually and slightly improving um, their process and improving the spirit. Um, with reference to the second question, which I guess is sometimes referred to as peak gin, as you might refer to it, um, <laughs> I, I think. I mean, I've been involved in the industry for six or seven years now, maybe a little bit. No, it's probably closer to ten years actually thinking about it. Goodness. Um, <laughs> uh, and ever since I've been involved with it, people have always been talking about peak gin. At a time when there was thirty gins on the market in the UK, people said, Oh well there's probably only space for about another five. We can't really have any more. Um, so I think um that there that the suggestion that um that we have reached a peak uh it's been called so many times before, and it's not happened. So I certainly wouldn't want to risk uh, doing that. Um, I think we are seeing some shifts, and one of the shifts we're seeing with new um, gins coming out on the market is there are far more limited releases, and so they might only be a run of 200 bottles, and then you might not see it again until they do a secondary release. Someone like. uh... Copperworks is a really good example. With some of the aged gins that they've done, they do that batch, and once it's gone, it's gone. So they might have released, you know, ten different gins or something like that. But of some of those gins, there was only ever two, three, four hundred bottles. So that kind of, I think you're starting to see um, those things going on as well. Distilleries in the UK that I know of have done sort of three limited editions in uh, this year alone, and they've all they sold out of all of them. So.
1: Um, I'm going to ask a question um, that I hope will spark some lively debate um, with with the listeners. Um, and please, definitely, um, David, if you would share your uh, social media handles mm. so they can tweet to you and Facebook you in anger, um, <laughs> that would be great.
0: <laughs> yeah. What does he know? What is he talking about? Um, yeah, so it is uh, – it's at Summer Fruit Cup on uh on Twitter. Um and it's also Summer Fruit Cup on Facebook as well. So it should be relatively straightforward to find. Uh Twitter's probably the best one though. That's the one I'll get the notifications on and can tweet you back. Okay, so now I'm ready. I'm ready for the for the right. topical question.
1: Here we here we go. What makes a craft product?
0: Oh <laughs> Um, I must have spent hours talking about this. Um, Freedom and independence. That is what makes a craft product. To me, that's the most important thing. The sort of thing where if a distiller says, this is kind of a bit of a crazy idea, but we've got the time to do it, we've got the budget to do it, let's just do a crazy little 200 bottle batch of this. Like bringing up Copperworks again, um, they're gin that was aged in a barrel that had previously held tonic syrup. You know, you, if you had a whole hierarchy of executives or something like that, they never let them do it. But that ability to innovate, having that freedom, I think is, is fantastic. Just these small little batches, um, that is the thing that makes it craft.
1: Excellent, excellent. Incidentally, I answered this question for myself a couple of weeks ago. I go on these very long cigar walks because I don't want to sit and review a cigar at my desk because I have to you know, live here. Yeah. Um, so I go on these long walks, and I tend to rant to myself, and I use my phone. Don't get me wrong. I'm not just talking to myself. I, I record what I say, and it will type it, um, and I, I decided to tackle the question of what is craft. So that article will be coming out on WizardOfWhiskey.com very soon. Um probably shortly after this podcast appears um it is interesting i I have some interesting craft products myself from from various distillers few in their breakfast gin um saint augustine um produced a gin they they produced two that were um aged in vermouth one white one red vermouth barrels think, yeah. um very interesting very distinctive um and I do think that um with products these days um People are getting and and rightfully so they're getting more experimental um my question is, does the world really need a gin that was filtered through diamonds and then poured over a naked woman and then bottled
0: <laughs> um, need yeah that's that's the that's the question do you yeah. do they do they need that? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if anyone needs that. Uh, I'm sure some people might enjoy it. Um, I guess the question is, what does the underlying spirit taste like? <laughs> is it any good or not? Um, I think it's the, it's the main thing I would be interested in.
1: <laughs> nice. Um, hashtag the world needs naked gin. Um <clears throat> I want to thank uh, my very special guest, uh, David Smith. Um, David and I work together on a couple of projects when he's here in the states, um, including uh, working behind the scenes at uh, the American Distilling Institute's annual judging. I'm looking forward to seeing you um, again here. Uh, wow, 2017 is just right around the corner. Not
0: that far. February. So, there we go. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, um, any last thoughts here uh, here on gin or or clear spirits in general?
0: Um. I think uh, oh, but one of the things, just very quickly, that I think I really like about what's going on in the U.S., particularly in the U.S. gin market, is is the innovation, but also how much people are embracing the use of different bases. I think it's um, absolutely fascinating from someone like Coom 9 in New York doing their honey-based one, or um, I doing a rice-based one there down in Louisiana. Um, there 's lots of people doing Apple and Pear and those sorts of things, and I just think that 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 spirit of innovation is really good and is probably something that we could do with a little bit more within Europe. There are certain regulatory things that that um, that can impede that slightly, but there are again there are ways there are still ways of doing it um, so I think that that would be a thought um, and as potentially slightly controversially um, I'd like to see more botanical vodkas, or that is, gins without the juniper in them. Um, so essentially, you make it in exactly the same way that you'd make a gin, but you make it as a botanical vodka. You have your distilled lemon verbena and maybe some lemon balm and thyme, and you have this sort of citrusy herbal vodka, and you make flavored vodka in the same way that you would make gin. And I think it's kind of time to reclaim it from the cookie dough. And the wedding cake flavored vodkas, and move more into an authentic botanical flavored vodka. Uh, someone like Saint George does a lovely job with their with their products. There.
1: Are you are you saying that we're not going to go out for whipped cream, salted caramel vodka cocktails?
0: <laughs> well, only if we can have a birthday cake vodka chaser.
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm I'm definitely not in for that. Not. not. <laughs> um david smith always a pleasure um love talking with you and i'm looking forward to having you on uh hopefully we can get a a a little virtual gin tasting going on so you can uh you can educate the uh the public on on the different uh styles of gin and we can taste through some stuff and um and keep the conversation going
0: yeah i look forward to it. it'll be fun thank you